one of the sort of in the line of taking kids seriously is uh, we try to be less prescriptive about what we want kids to learn. And we try to be more prescriptive about how, giving kids the structure to learn how to learn. Hello, hello. So welcome back to Ready to Redo. I'm Joe Yang, and today we are joined by Ryan Delk, who is the co-founder and CEO of Primer, which is an online platform in America dedicated for personalized learning and done in the right way. So not the typical online learning, which means pretending to look at your camera, but actually scrolling through food videos. Honestly, I have no idea how they make cheese look so damn good, but <laughs> that is besides the point. At Primer, they prioritize creativity, problem solving, and all the other skills I've been ranting about in the other episodes here that traditional schools just don't teach. And so today you'll learn about how Primer is making all of that happen, and it's really the future of education. So let's jump into it. <laughs> First of all, I see Primer mentioning a lot, and you've mentioned a lot in podcasts, in interviews that you've guested on, to take kids more seriously. And why not just jump into it first? Because I've seen it on your website. It's in bold. It's in purple, (laughs) which means that it is important, I assume, anyway. So what do you mean by taking kids more seriously? Because are we not doing that right now? Yeah, so not only is it bold on our website, we actually uh, have a giant neon sign in our San Francisco office, uh, <laughs> where I am right now, uh, that says take kids seriously. So as soon as you walk in, you uh, it's actually hanging like above all of our desks. So um, yeah, that, that kind of uh, came organically as we were thinking about, like, what is the sort of like meta philosophy for how we engage with kids, how we design product experiences? Um, how do we think about the tools that we give kids? And um, I think we, I don't know who said it first, but someone early on in the team, me or my co-founder or someone said it. And um, it just really stuck as this sort of like, uh, just, just almost like a philosophy of how we do things. And it's not just like from a pedagogical perspective or like from, um, you know, it's very specific. It's actually like how we, how we think about the whole company. So like we have kids come by the office all the time. We give kids access to like beta features, like uh, all the time. We, we sort of tried to push ourselves to sort of radically think like how, how, how far could we push this on giving kids more freedom or autonomy or um, power than you ordinarily would. We sort of like half joke that some of the kids on Primer are going to be the CEO of Primer one day. Um, and it's half a joke, but it's also like, you know, it's like plausible that in 10, 15 years, uh, you know, that, that could be possible. And so, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's a type of thing that I think like is, it, it sort of became a meme internally. And now it's something that, that we really, it really guides how we run the company, how we build the product, how we think about content. And so um, it's hard to describe at a, at a sort of conceptual level, but it's very easy to, uh, to point to like specific things um, that we do. And so like one of them, for example, is we, when we, when we roll out uh, products and features and basically anything that we're shipping, we, we actually spend very little time talking to parents. So um, I think the intuition of the parents are paying for this, like you got to make sure parents are happy. And that's, that is true. And we do care what parents think and we do talk to parents, um, but we're actually way more interested in feed, kids feedback. And so I would rather spend an hour with 
you know, a nine-year-old that's really active on Primer talking to him or her about what they're interested in, what, what's, what's going well, what I think about a new feature, then I would talk to their parents. And so um, we're just very like kid oriented and we're sort of obsessed with what experiences we can create for these kids. And um, I think a lot of the, a lot of what kids, what a, a lot of what kids communicate to us is that they feel very underestimated outside of Primer, whether that's at school or around adults in general or around their friends. Um, and so they don't feel like they're, they're taken seriously. And so I think it sort of serves as this, um, you know, a bit of like a rallying cry for us for what we want the primer community to be like. And um, I think it's working because kids are kids are now saying that back to us about how, how they feel like they're taken seriously on primer, which is sort of like, uh, you know, the best compliment that we can get. Mm. And they, they essentially have a voice. They have a say in their education because at the end of the day, it is their education as opposed yeah. to, you know, like you're providing it for them. And so in terms of that more tangible aspect of them giving you feedback and you acting on it, are there, you know, things that you're creating right now or things that you've already implemented that have been directly from their feedback? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, one of the things that I think this is more on like product strategy, but one of the things that I think is really important when you're building a company is to look at anomalous behavior or anomalous data and almost everything we've built has been a, a product of us watching kids do something or want to do something that was sort of anomalous at the time. And um, so an example is in clubs, which is the first thing we shipped, which are these sort of interest-based groups for kids around cooking or storytelling or photography or whatever they're interested in. Um, kids started wanting to, to talk live or have like some way to do like a synchronous experience. And, and clubs just allow for you to share photos or text or videos, comment back and forth. Um, and so they actually started using the comments kind of like a chat room. Um, and so we started talking to them and we said, this is interesting. Like, and so some of them actually had figured out how to like have live communications, like, like basically get their parents to talk to each other and be able to have like live Google meets or something, um, outside of primary. Like, this is, this is pretty fascinating. And they wanted to work on projects together live. They wanted to uh, ask questions, talk about things. And so rooms actually was born out of that. And so rooms are live synchronous audio only experiences that we built. And that was actually, you could sort of pull that thread back to these kids uh, and, and what they were looking for and wanting to do in clubs. Um, and then pursuits, which is a new thing that we just launched, which is a six week sort of uh, like a really deep dive on a very specific topic. And so this first one's about space, but the future ones will be about all sorts of things um, in contact with rooms, which are sort of one-offs. Um, we saw this behavior where kids were wanting to get together on a recurring basis and go really deep on something. And so they had kids that would get together multiple times a week in rooms and write a book together, but they get together multiple times a week uh, and work on art or a researcher's topic that they're excited about or debate things. And so we realized that there was actually this really deep desire for them to be able to connect on a recurring ongoing basis to go deeper than what just an hour together in a room would allow. Um, and that thread is what turned into pursuits. And so, yeah, I mean, almost uh, almost everything we've built can be traced back to things that that we we felt like we create a lot of magic for kids, and we saw sort of anomalous uh, data and anomalous behavior that happened uh, that led to that. Right, right. So really, really analyzing, really going deeper into well, noticing, observing, and reflecting <laughs> a lot of that too, and seeing exactly what the students are, uh, the, the kids are doing, and not necessarily even if they notice it, but as long as you do and creating that environment for them. Um, and so before we do jump into, you know, primer rooms, primer communities, which is, you know, what you've, you've mentioned already, before we go into that, I would love to ask from your personal experiences with what you've seen in work, what you've seen in your personal life, what are the skills and the mindsets that if, like, if kids literally do not have, 
that they're going to be disadvantaged now or in the future? That's a good question. So one thing that we, one line that we walk at Primer um, is, especially in the US, there's sort of like five, depending on what state you're in, but five-ish subjects that um, you know, people really care about and are part of Common Core, um, depending on the state, but there, there's you know, usually some government body that said, hey, these are like the five most important subjects. Um, and for the most part, those subjects have been the same for like the last 90-ish years. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that's interesting is that, so, 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 so like sort of society weights those as higher than anything else. Um, but there's things like coding, for example, which I think a lot of people would say is, is extremely valuable and extremely important. And um, you know, something that, that could, you could make an argument that it's, it's as important as something like history or math um, now. I'm not making that argument, but I'm saying you could. Um, uh, that, that isn't, you know, part of any formal requirement for anyone to learn. And so I think one of the things that we, one of the sort of in the line of taking kids seriously is uh, we try to be less prescriptive about what we want kids to learn. And we try to be more prescriptive about how, giving kids the structure to learn how to learn. And so we do, we try to have the sort of the, the sort of platonic ideal of what primer can be is this place that you can go to and you can explore anything that you're excited about with other kids around the world that are also excited about that same thing. And you can go as deep as you want to on that. Um, but the structure and the scaffolding and the framework that we give you is um, one that actually encourages and helps you build the habits and develop the muscles of how to learn and go deep on something and do deep work. And so, um, you know, we don't, we, we try to, to be, you know, relatively unopinionated about the, the things that we want you to learn or the subjects we want you to learn. Uh, we think that that should be, you know, one defined by like parents or school or um, whatever, whatever sort of the situation is for an individual child and then also their interests. Um, but we try to, so it's, just, it's basically exposing them to as many possible things that they can go deep on and then giving them the tools to learn how to go deep um, and really learn for really learn things, not just learn how to regurgitate answers. Um, and so there's this, Sorry, go ahead. What, what does that look like? So what does that, by giving them the tools, what do these tools even look like to actually get them to essentially develop that skill of learning how to learn? Yeah, I mean, so we're still working on it uh, in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. but there's this loop that we talk about internally a lot, which is um, instead of starting with like a, a lot of learning, when you think about uh, learning in school, you think about sort of a requirement, like I need to learn this, and then you kick off this sort of like learning cycle uh, because you need to learn this. Um, and we, we start from a different spot, which is actually inspiration. And so um, the, the thing that we want to ideally catalyze learning and the desire to go deep on something is, is either seeing another kid's work or being exposed to a subject or um, an idea or something cool that happened in the world. SpaceX just sent a rocket up. Um, this person just wrote this amazing book, whatever the thing might be. Um, and then that kicks off this sort of like learning, uh, this sort of like this desire to learn. And so we, and part of that inspiration and sort of how it turns into a flywheel is that you get inspired, you sort of decide or you're, you figure out what you want to learn. You go actually do the work and you, and as a, pro, as a part of learning, you actually produce something. So some artifact that's being produced and then you share that artifact. And what we think that, where we think the magic is, is that in sharing that artifact, you actually have a chance to kick off this flywheel for other kids too, because then all of a sudden that artifact is the thing that inspires them. And you actually just became the top of that flywheel for you know, other kids all around the world who might now be inspired to go work and do this thing. And so um, there's an example of a kid on Primer, his name is Josh, and he was really into manga. And he, um, I don't remember the exact thing that inspired him, but I think he just was was really struck by um, sort of the, 
the power of manga and storytelling and the way that it conveyed both like images and um, and he decided that he wanted to to write a manga and basically like become Ooh. really great um, at this. And so he spent months, literally working like multiple hours a day on primer um, on this manga. And and he shared his work and he recorded like YouTube time lapses and uploaded them to YouTube. You can find them on YouTube. Like uploaded them to YouTube and showed his progress. And it's unbelievable. A, how good he got, like after he just practiced for hours and hours and hours a day. But then to hear him talk about the process where he he was so he was so committed to to this end state where he wanted to finish this manga. Um, and he knew he knew how long he wanted it to be and exactly what he wanted the story to be. Um, and he was like, Yeah, it wasn't fun all the time. Like sometimes it was really fun, but sometimes it was really hard and I didn't want to do it. But I kept going because I wanted to get better and I believed that I could get better and I could believe that I could achieve this goal. Um, and you know, he's a 12, 13 year old kid that, uh, you know, has, has now, uh, and I don't know if this is the first time in his life, but I would imagine it's one of the first times in his life has now set out to accomplish something relatively difficult that very few people have ever done, uh, decided to do it, worked extremely hard for many months in community with other kids, uh, that he, on something he was interested in, um, and finished it and did it. And then now has inspired other kids to do the same thing and whatever that version looks like for them. And so. Um, that's sort of like a, a perfect example of the the way that we think the cycle can work at its best. Um, and it's not perfectly applicable for every type of learning. And it's not something that we think, you know, just magically is going to solve a whole bunch of problems. But that's, that's, those are the types of things that we get really excited about. Right. And that, that really sounds to me, and by the way, I would love to be linked <laughs> the, the YouTube videos and everything. Yeah. That's definitely my jam. Um, but that speaks to the mindsets of resilience, right? To, to, basically be able to continue something because you can see, I guess, the end result, like you want to be better. I guess that was Josh's goal was to just improve the mindset, you know, to create, to be creative. I think all of these are things that we're overlooking and going back to that, taking kids more seriously, it's to give them the opportunity to do things like create um, and to basically go by their interests because as you were saying with that circle it's it's to start with something that they're passionate about because of course if they're inspired that that's going to instill some passion in them which is going to sustain them throughout this creation process because if you don't have your passion then how are you going to you know that's the fuel behind creating and that's what we don't see a lot in traditional education is when you give them a task that's already you know, culling that process of actually creating that passion. And mm-hmm. that's the danger that I guess we see. And that's why a lot of, I guess, people are noticing alternative um, options like Primer. So before we jump into the structure of Primer, because yes, we will dig deep into that. I just have a little example or uh, a little scenario that I've condensed into one of all the misconceptions of online learning. <laughs> so Darcy is 12 and doing online learning quotation marks, which means that the school's curriculum has essentially moved all online. It means that the teacher will hold classes, go through PowerPoints, students will write their notes uh, and access, you know, all their homework and assignments online. But man, Darcy hates online learning, hates it. And so do other students. And she ends up turning the webcam on, but just playing on her phone during class. And that scenario is just condensed by all the students that I've worked with, just their thoughts about online learning. And unfortunately, a lot of people view online learning like this, exactly like this, where you transplant something in person to online, but Prime is doing something completely different. And I would love for you to now talk about how you're structuring education for students and how that differs from this. 
Yeah. So um, one thing that's interesting is I think uh, anytime you anytime you're changing the the sort of modality of something, I think the instinct is to just port the old version into the new structure or framework or whatever. Um, and so you saw this like digital textbooks, like perfect example. Mm -hmm. uh, the first digital textbooks were just images of the physical textbook on an app, basically, uh, or on a CD, I guess, originally. And uh, I think that's fine. It's normal. And um, there, I think there are, there's a lot of companies working on sort of like porting the classroom experience onto Zoom. And I think that will be, you know, probably for a lot of kids, like a net benefit, especially if they don't live in a city or a country or a community where they can get access to great teachers. There's a lot of, you know, things that can go right there. But to your point, I think, um, for a lot of kids, there's also a lot of things that can go wrong and it's uh, it can be really detrimental to them. And so we we took sort of the total opposite approach and we said, hey, we, we're not starting from the position of, hey, we wanna recreate classes or we wanna recreate, uh, you know, what happens at a school on Primer. That's not the goal of Primer. Um, we started from a first sort of the first principles of, hey, we wanna build this place on the internet for kids to chase their passions, uh, be exposed to other ambitious kids around the world, go deep on their interests, build things, do things together, um, explore specific topics that we give them structure for. How would we do that on the internet? Uh, knowing that we we can build product experiences, we can like this. This is a internet product. This is not something that we're not trying to you know build something that also works as a textbook or also works as a video. Um, and so that's, I think that's sort of been the thing that's differentiated us from a lot of other companies. And so um, the Primer Rooms experience, for example, like there's no video in Primer Rooms, there's audio, and then there's this interactive sort of big, uh, it's, it's like this canvas basically that, uh, that kids can basically use to uh, like whatever they want to do during that session. So sometimes we architect these experiences and we say, hey, this is what we're gonna do. And we're running the simulation. It's almost like, um, you know, almost like a game engine or something that we've built um, where you can have, uh, you know, kids that choose, like choose what happens next. Okay, we're, we're running a, a, a deli and we need to make these decisions about how much money to spend on marketing and how much money to spend on inventory. What do you think we should do? Discussion, you know, build consensus, make a decision, say, hey, let's do this. And then based on what they choose and which, what they vote for, like different things happen next in the scenarios. And um, so it's, it's, it's really not meant to be a replacement for any sort of like traditional classroom experience. It's really built from the ground up as this new kind of experience for kids. Um, and so I think if there's one thing that differentiates us, like uh, that's it. And when you talk to kids, like they don't, like kids on Primer don't conceptualize Primer as online learning or e-learning or school or any of those. Like it's, it's a completely other thing for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to go deeper into those primer rooms. So you said that they're audio only and you were talking about sort of these hypothetical um, practical scenarios that you can then apply your knowledge into. So besides, you know, creating, that's an interesting example, like creating a deli or creating a store and trying to find how to actually build that, you know, practically. Um, what other sort of things happen within primer rooms? Yeah, so we have two two kinds of rooms. I, I briefly mentioned this, but we have rooms that kids run, and they can invite their friends on Primer um, to come to their rooms. And so we have um, one kid who runs a Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, room series, and uh, he's super into Marvel. And so he is uh, basically running these series of rooms where they talk about upcoming Marvel movies, talk about plots, 
Um, they do all sorts of different things in these rooms. Uh, we have another another kid that's really interested in uh, in drawing, and so she runs a um, a basically a club that she runs for kids who are really interested in getting together and drawing and giving each other feedback and sharing their art. Uh, another kid that's really interested in uh, teaching people to code, and so he runs a series of of rooms where kids can come and learn to code, and he helps them learn how to build their first website. Um, and so those are those are rooms that kids are in charge of, and we basically give them the tools and say, hey, you go, you know, you go run whatever you want, basically, um, within these guidelines. And then there's rooms that we actually create the content for and we host. And so those rooms are they can be business simulations, they could be debates, they could be um, exploring like different parts of the world. There's all sorts of different types of rooms that we that our team creates. Um, and so it, it depends a lot on the on which one of those you're talking about, but. The goal in all of them is to create an environment where kids can build meaningful relationships with other kids and actually spend time doing real work, going deep, learning how to solve problems, building consensus together, you know, having debates, all those kind of things um, in the context of one of these experiences. And so um, regardless of sort of where, which one or, or what, what room you're in, those are the things that tend to be sort of the threads that are, that are pressing everywhere. Um, but it varies a lot and it varies a lot by design because we want to cover a lot of surface area. So there's something that everyone would be excited about when they join Primer. Right. And sort of explain how the structure behind Primer Rooms is. Say if it's um, a facilitator run room with the kids there, will it be a day of sort of thing? Like thinking about, okay, we can do this depending on what the interests of the kids are that day. Or will the kids know in advance sort of what they're starting with, whether that's a puzzle that they're going to solve? Yeah, so they so kids RSVP for rooms in advance, so they can RSVP ten minutes before they want. But the content and the structure of that room is set beforehand, mm-hmm. and then they're they're joining to participate in whatever that experience is. Right, and that's that's actually really great because then they know what they're getting into, which means that they, you know, have that personal responsibility to be there and to enjoy it because they know what they're getting set up for, which is really not what you see in a classroom, like traditional classrooms, because generally you get told on the day what you're doing <laughs> yeah um, and so in terms of the other side so we've got primary rooms, so we also got communities um, and so could you also explain a little bit about these communities too yeah so rooms are uh sort of like these these 45 minute hour long experiences that are sort of ephemeral they they happen and they're sort of done and like you're kind of on to the next one um and clubs are evergreen uh, they're you know, going to go on forever. They're organized around interests. And so you can do projects together. You can uh, share work. You can get feedback, give feedback. Um, and you can meet other people who are excited about the same things that you're excited about. And those are meant for, for to give kids community around their interest and have some sort of, sort of durable uh, relationships where they can actually do work together. And so in the artist club, kids are constantly sharing their art and they do art swaps where uh, and it's sort of the one, I think one kid a few months ago just sort of like invented this on or brought this to primer. And now it's like this big thing where kids sort of swap artwork and do each other's art and, um, they'll pick different things for each other to draw. And, um, so there's all these, all these sort of, uh, you know, sort of emergent behaviors that have happened in different clubs. Um, and like game makers club, kids learn how to code by, uh, building video games from scratch, which is a visual programming language developed by MIT. And there's just like one of the coolest things is seeing kids over time, you're, they're sort of building a portfolio of these things they share in clubs and seeing the progression over time is really amazing. And so 
art is one that's like very obvious and you can sort of see someone get better at art over time but things like game makers club where you know the first game they are able to code is like this very very basic game or maybe they just done a derivative of someone else's game where they just changed like one thing and then a few months later they're like building their own games and they're ready to jump to phaser uh or they want to learn javascript or like they're you know excited about learning other programming languages and so um that's one of the coolest things is just seeing these this progression and so what pursuits are they're kind of like a combination of the two of them and it gives gives kids a sort of very specific place where they can go deep on one topic together um and they they have recurring rooms and uh a team and people they can work with over many weeks um to to go deep and do real work together and so that's um pursuits is sort of like a blend of the two right and there's also primer challenge isn't there i think that's a newer newer addition um, where they basically just set these tasks and um, the student, uh, the kids can basically work together and um, complete it. Is that right? Because I was just looking through the yeah. website. Yeah. It depends on the club, but yeah, there's all different, uh, there's projects that we've created. Uh, so there's project guides for kids that want to do different projects. Um, and so they can, they can do this together. They can do them individually. And then there's specific challenges that will run for like a time bound experience too. Um, and so, yeah, we do that as well. Yeah, I, I, I did see an example there where uh, some kids basically put together an editorial <laughs> and created yeah. their own yeah, exactly. sort of, yeah. yeah, it was insane. I was just, you know, yeah. looking through the pictures and they've, the structure behind it, I mean, they obviously use these different sort of programs, these sort of apps, websites, but what we're finding is that this is all possible, that you can just go online, Google how to, you know, create an editorial and and get the support from the community and create yeah. something. It's so easy now. <laughs> totally. I, I really do want to go into this sort of community aspect, how, the social aspect behind it too, because um, how have you seen kids respond to this more social type of learning? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, for, it really depends on the personality. So for some kids, it's, it's a, it's a huge sort of, uh, new paradigm for them. Like they're not used to uh, engaging with kids that are excited about the same things they're excited about. And then for other kids, it's like they've been starved of this their whole life and they're like so excited to find it. Um, and so it really depends on the kid. It depends on their family and their the way that they're, they're sort of posture towards education and all sorts of different things. But um, I think for almost every kid, it turns out to be a huge like net positive in their uh, you know, a few a few weeks in, they've made friends. They're excited to do rooms together. They're meeting people that might live in another country that are really excited about the same things they're excited about. So, um, yeah, it's really amazing to see. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the access to experts, because I have um, seen, you know, that there's a link between experts in their field and um, kids who want to learn or have created practical things who then want to. Um, work with these experts so how does that look um because i'm pretty sure in a podcast you mentioned things like rocket uh making a rocket and getting expert feedback back on that yeah we've done that on like an ad hoc basis uh on for specific projects uh, like the rocket project you mentioned um it's definitely something we want to do over time but it's like trying to figure out exactly how to fit that in and one of the things that we don't want to turn into is where kids are you know they're sort of motivated to do this thing just because they want to impress someone um, but not actually because they're sort of deeply fulfilled and excited by it. And so we don't want to create this situation where like celebrities are like the primary motivation for kids doing good work. Um, but we sort of kind of be thoughtful about that, but we, yeah, we are going to sort of do more of that over time. Uh, we just want to introduce it thoughtfully. 
Right. I feel like, yeah, that, that is an interesting way to view it because in my head it was sort of like utopian, like, oh, they'll, they'll really enjoy it <laughs> and end of story. But I can, I can see that happening, but I guess it's the way that it's phrased. Maybe it's that they, um, it's, it's to really emphasize the value of that feedback instead. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to pleasing someone else. Cause that is also, I guess, an extrinsic thing. Now that we're, we're taking the autonomy or the responsibility away from the student. What, might then so say we've got all these primer rooms we've got all these primer clubs and everything so how does a a typical day and i say that in quotes because i understand that there's no real typical day it can change Um, but what might that look like for say someone who's just understanding what primer is yeah it really varies per kid so we have kids that do seven eight hours of primer stuff every day um, and then we have kids that log on a few times a week and join for a couple rooms or work on their pursuits or, you know, post in clubs. So it really depends on the family and how it fits into their schedule and whether they're homeschooled or they're going to school full time and all that. Um, but I think the sort of like typical path is um, signing up for primer, finding a few of the uh, clubs that, that sort of are interesting to the kid. And so um, that could be things they're already interested in, things they want to get interested in, sort of aspirationally. Oh, I want to learn how to code. I'm going to join this club, um, and then finding rooms that are that are also interesting to them. So they have some a live component, um, and then pursuits. Uh, we start like new cohorts of pursuits every couple of weeks, and so um, typically there's a pursuit starting that week. They would also join that, uh, or or the next couple weeks they would also join that. Um, and that's sort of, I think, like the, the perfect balance because then they have sort of a long form experience they're doing that is uh, with a group of people they're getting to know really well, doing deep work together. They have some clubs they're in where they're meeting other kids that are excited about what they're also excited about. And then rooms provide these sort of quick uh, synchronous experiences to build relationships, work on sort of cool projects or ideas um, that are more kind of rapid fire. And so um, that balance, I think, works out really well for most kids. Right. And the recurring theme really is to just keep creating, I guess, to keep creating, to get that support from the primer community to continue and say, I already know, but just for the audience, is there a time limit? Is there any sort of expectation on what they create? Um, Could you just give a bit of background around that? Yeah, we we don't have, uh, we try to put as as few restrictions on kids as possible. So, um, Occasionally, if we're running like a challenge or a specific like uh, time bound project, there will be a date that like something has to be submitted by like it's a contest or challenge or something. Um, But for the most part, there's not uh, in general in like clubs, there's not like a specific like time that anything has to be done. You kind of work at your own pace. For pursuits, you're working on a team together. And so there's lateral accountability. And the goal is that you don't you have to do it because Primer said so. You feel like you have to do it because you don't let your team down. And so, um, because your team's counting on you. And so that's the type of accountability we want to create within Primer. We don't want it to be, oh, because I'm doing this because Primer said so. is like the worst reason yeah. for any kid to ever do anything. Um, and so that lateral accountability is why the relationships are so important um, is a huge part of what we want to create. Okay. Will you get any kids though who sort of are stuck, like really stuck, uh, stuck with creating, don't know what to do and end up, you know, stopping and... Um, or who are just unmotivated to create as well. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, every kid is coming from a different background, a different story, a different family, different schools. And so, yeah, varies, varies per kid, but this is why the exposure and relationships are really important because typically what happens is they'll see other kids creating and doing things and getting into that flow and they realize, oh, I could do that too. Um, And in most cases, it's sort of like the network actually sort of absorbs them and helps them see what they are capable of and then they start doing it. 
Um, and so that's, that is sort of like the, the, the dream uh, scenario for new kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Passion feeds passion, I guess. Just seeing that is contagious, isn't it? <laughs> totally. Now shifting from the, I guess the structure behind primate going towards the educators themselves. Cause there is, they're like the backbone, I guess, of being able to facilitate, being able to be there as support um, for the for the kids there. And the thing is, I, I don't see the word teacher on the website. And I think, you know, that's very intentional here. So more so facilitators, more so educators. And I want to know more the distinguishment between the two. Yeah. So we, yeah, we don't have teachers. Um, and our goal actually is to to need no facilitation or very low facilitation. Mm-hmm. So um, the goal is actually that the, the product is uh, in Delaware such a great experience and it's sort of, it's almost like autonomous or like self-driving in nature. Um, obviously like as we're testing new content and doing all sorts of things that, that'll never always be the case. But um, yeah, so we do have facilitators that, that, that join and host rooms um, with kids for certain rooms and um, they're incredible. And uh, yeah, that the, the general, uh, like posture that we have and that they have towards the experiences is to it's like minimal involvement so the best case scenario is the kids sort of take over and they just run with it and they sort of have an amazing experience um there are obviously types of kids and types of rooms and different relational dynamics and all sorts of things that can happen where it requires someone to jump in and kind of help steer a conversation or um, provide clarity or translate between people that are misunderstanding each other but for the most part, we want it to feel as, uh, you know, as kid driven as possible. And this goes back to right. taking kids seriously. Right. And, and I guess currently while facilitators are here and present in the rooms and in, are they present in the clubs as well? Uh, we, we're sort of around, but we want it to feel as kid to kid as possible. Right. So uh, seeing as there still is a presence here for facilitators, is there particular qualities that you see in facilitators or educators? Um, for example, like someone that you would hire at Primer um, to be a facilitator. What sort of qualities do you look for? Yeah, it's a good question. We, I mean, there's some broad things that we look for of anyone that's joining the team. And then I think specifically, so happy to talk about that, but then specifically for the facilitator role, um, it's a combination of, um, sort of being very good at asking the right questions or like um, like I think a perfectly timed or pointed question can be like enough to like steer a conversation like right back to where it should go. Um, and I think a lot of it's sort of like knowing uh, knowing how to like sort of like it's like a someone who really knows their craft and they can sort of like ask the perfect question versus coming in very heavy handed and trying to like sort of wrestle the conversation back. So um, that's definitely a big thing is, is, you know, people who are not trying to like dominate a conversation or teach in any way. Um, and then the second thing I would think is just like philosophically people that believe that kids are capable of way more than we give them the opportunity to do or, or, or believe they can. Um, and people that sort of philosophically are very aligned with us and that, that's really important because that, that is the input that flows into how they interact with the rooms and how they host rooms and all that as well. Yeah, so what you were saying just before, it, it seems like if they're not dominating the conversation, it also means that they're a great listener yeah. <laughs> for being able to pick up, you know, the slight um, shifts potentially in topic or conflict or whatever it is, being able to pick up intuitively and and be more listening than speaking. 
in terms of though, because you were saying what would make a great team member too, not just a facilitator, but one that would fit within Primer, what would that look like? Yeah, we we're a bit, uh, our, our, our culture is very unique. So we uh, like, we hire a lot of people from very non-traditional backgrounds. So hire people from the theater world. We've hired people uh, from that have never worked at tech companies before. Um, we've hired people that like one of the people on our education team was a former school teacher and a former engineer at a, at, um, at Lyft at a, a big startup. Um, and so it's like people with very interesting backgrounds. And um, so the team is very eclectic in that way. And it's not a bunch of sort of like the typical people you would think would be building a tech company. Um, as far as like qualities we look for, like we're very sort of um, like no politics, like no bureaucracy um, culture. And so people who value like being able to just get things done, deliver great work, uh, don't aren't worried about toe stepping. They are you know willing to give like direct blunt feedback when needed. Um, like they 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 want to they want to work in a culture that's optimized for getting work done, not all the other things that companies typically do, like talking about getting work done or um, you know org structures and all that. And so the 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 team is is um, just kind of very like it's a combination of like efficiency, being very mission driven, and like care deeply about. That's another big thing for us is like caring deeply about the kids. We all are like we all have like no multiple primer kids by name. Um, they like you know will send us feedback and. Um, so we're very like hands-on and, and really like build relationships with the kids. And, um, so that's a huge part of the culture is, is really, really caring about what the outcomes we're delivering for these kids. Um, so yeah, those are a few things that we, we think about. A common theme that again, I'm seeing is also the term, the term feedback, being mm-hmm. able to give and receive feedback, whether that's with the staff, but also with, with the kids. And why do you think that's so important? I mean, I have a sort of personal, I don't know how much this this specifically flows into primer in terms of like our pedagogy or how we think about um, designing these experiences. But um, I had this sort of personal thing that the part of the reason why people are not, um, are not good at receiving and giving feedback is because for the first 22 years of your life, you receive, you know, very little uh, like good uh, or by good, I mean, helpful, not necessarily positive, um lateral feedback like almost all your feedback is like parents other adults teachers um you know people that are basically like in a position of power over you that are telling giving you and it's it's feedback but it's really like telling you what to do or telling you what you need to do or what you did wrong um and so you dump that person into a work environment or a friend environment or whatever as a 23 year old and they all of a sudden are giving feedback on how they interact with people or how they made someone feel or um things they need to do differently and I think it can be very difficult to know how to handle feedback and use feedback as a tool for growth and give great feedback if your entire life you've spent just having feedback given sort of vertically and not laterally. And so um, that's that's sort of a personal thing that I'm really excited about and that I want kids on Primer to learn and learn that skill. Um, but it's also something we really value as a company. And we I, I close every one-on-one with someone on the team, like do you have any additional feedback or anything that, that you want to share? And um, so we try to always keep a very open door for that. And and to really dive into that idea of feedback too, what what makes good feedback? What makes it constructive or helpful, as you were saying? Yeah, we I think at, at Primer we try to keep as much as possible. Try to keep the feedback, um, like if it's negative feedback, be very specific. So um, like you know, telling someone um, 
it's really frustrating how you show up in meetings is really not helpful feedback. Um, telling someone, hey, yesterday, um, the way that you, your, your presence in the meeting yesterday made me feel um, like you didn't care what we were working on um, because you, whatever, uh, you know, were clearly like on your phone during the meeting or whatever the thing might be. Uh, and we really need you engaged in this to deliver a great product. That's really good feedback. Um, and so we try to keep it, uh, or at least I, I try to keep it as like unemotional as possible and as just direct as possible. Um, and we, one of the things that's really important is not letting feedback like build up. And so you don't want to have a culture where like giving someone feedback is like this huge, like sort of Herculean effort. And it's like very awkward and you have to like wait till you have a ton of negative feedback on someone to like give it to them. You want to have a culture where you can sort of like give people very quick feedback and they can, if, if they want to, they don't have to take the feedback, but if they want to take the feedback, they can change course, take it into account, um, start working differently, you know, communicating differently, whatever the feedback might be. Um, and so that's really, I think that's a really important part of it is, is normalizing giving feedback within a culture. Because if you look at like really high performance sports teams, for example, um, feedback is a huge part of, of the best sports teams. They're constantly analyzing what they can do better. They're getting feedback from their teammates, they're getting feedback from coaches. Um, and so I think it's, it's a bit silly how you, if you're going to try to design a, and, and sort of craft a world-class team to build a company that's going to change the world, why you wouldn't also assume that you need that level of feedback and, um, you know, analyzing what's working and what's not working. Mm, yeah. And that really does sound like, you know, contributing to that growth mindset to be able to see yourself, not, you know, not personally, because a lot of the time it is easy to take feedback personally when really it is just to help you be better in the environment, I guess, but growth yeah. mindset to say that, yeah, this doesn't define you. This feedback doesn't define you. It's just there to actually help you. And I think mm -hmm. that comes really also to like a fear of, I guess, failure in a way. It, it's sort of because it could be to someone that feedback means that there is something wrong with them or that they're not as good as they think. But I, I wonder what, the, you know, the chicken and the egg by giving feedback more. So that's creating an environment that fears failure less or if it's the other way around. But um, mm. that idea of failure as well, I'd love you, for you to speak on that. Um, is that something that you actively try and, you know, not eliminate, but, but sort of make it easier for staff or for kids getting used to failure and working with it? Yeah. Um, one thing that's interesting about both startups and kids is that, um, for most of the things that you're doing early on, you have asymmetric upside. And what I mean by that is that um, as a startup, if you're an early team, you're a small team and you're building for, you know, a small thousands of users, um, you don't have millions of users yet. And so the best case scenario uh, from shipping a new feature or working on some new product launch is that it totally changes the trajectory of the company and it creates tons of organic growth and it becomes everyone's new favorite thing, new favorite feature. Um, the worst case scenario is like usually that no one uses it maybe some extreme cases where the worst case scenario is it, you know, some, some thing that creates a scandal or something around it. But the, the, usually the worst case scenario is just like, no one uses it and you kill it. You um, which is, you know, if you think about like the neutral case, it's like just a very, that's a very small sort of worst case scenario versus the upside is, you know, hundreds or thousands of times better. Um, and I think it's actually similar for kids. And one of the things that I wish that someone had told me early on in my life is to take more risks early on. Um, because in my head, the things that felt really risky when I was, 16 or 18, um, in retrospect, we're not that risky because, uh, like failing at age 12 or 14 or 16 at something, or even 18, 20, 
um, it's just like failure just means so little um, in that context. And um, it's, it's almost impossible for there to be any negative repercussions for the rest of your life. Uh, if you try to start a company or learn a new skill or, uh, you know, try to make money doing something, whatever the thing might be, um, the, the failure state is just has, has relatively minuscule negative impact on your life and the potential upside is massive. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, one of the sort of like the physics of failure. I think, um, anytime you're in a situation where there's asymmetric upside, you, you want to be able to, you want as many shots on goal and you want to be, you want to give yourself as many chances as possible to, to get to the success case. Um, and that by definition means you're the other, you want to fail. Mm. And, and you see that a lot with Prima Kids. I mean, they're, they're creating so many things <laughs> and yeah. obviously getting a lot of feedback from other people and being vulnerable. That's a big one. And so before we wrap up, I do want to end with this question, which is what do you believe or what do you want educational spaces to look like in the future? Yeah, I think our dream and the sort of long-term goal of Primer is to actually give kids tools to create those spaces for themselves. So um, more and more, we're turning over the tools of Primer to the kids themselves, and we're giving them the ability to build things and uh, host their own rooms and craft their own experiences for other kids. And that's a huge part of the long-term vision. And so, um, you know, we, I think that, that's something that, that I'm really, really excited about. And I don't think it's ever been done before at any real scale. Um, and so I think if there's one, there's one thing that I feel really strongly about, it's that. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. And yeah, it's been an awesome conversation because I love just seeing what you're creating with Primer and what the kids themselves are achieving and the autonomy that they have in this space. Uh, and where can we find you? Uh, so we're at Primer on Twitter uh, or www.withprimer.com, W-I-T-H-P-R-I-M-E-R. Uh, and then I'm uh, at Delk on Twitter. Uh, and if you have any questions or anything I can help with, uh, I'm Ryan at withprimer.com. Awesome. Thank you.